right, good morning, Transit family. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Hello, hello, am I on? Okay. Good morning, good morning. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Okay, <laughs> I have a small army of kids here. Find your seats, little ones. Those are my kids. Kids just roaming the sanctuary. Mudge up, kids, back to your seats, all right. Well, good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? How's everyone doing today? Good. Y'all were like shouting at each other, and then all of a sudden I get a pair of them goes like quiet. All right. Uh, well, hey, if uh, you're new here at the transit, uh, from the pulpit, we like to go through books of the Bible. So we've been in uh, the book of Nehemiah. So turn to Nehemiah. Uh, we've been in Nehemiah for a couple months now, and we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 15, and we'll go to chapter 7, verse 4. And where the context of where we're at in our text today is this, is that it is October, or the fall, roughly speaking, of 445 B.C. And six months earlier, Nehemiah, who was the former cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Persia, six months earlier, Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem. And what we've seen so far is that after careful inspection and planning and preparation and perseverance through opposition and strenuous building and labor that the walls in our text today is that the walls are miraculously finished in 52 days. 52 days after they began the work, the wall is finished. Now, if you've ever watched YouTube for a DIY project at home, you know that it takes like 52 days to do anything with a home project. So what I'm getting at is that if you've ever done something involving construction and contractors or, or YouTube videos and five runs to Home Depot because you missed part, all that stuff, you know that that's a crazy, crazy time frame for this wall to be done. So what the evidence of that is that God's hand of favor and provision and power was all over this wall being completed. But what's fascinating is that in Nehemiah 6, the wall's finished. But in Nehemiah 6, there's 13 chapters in Nehemiah, the story doesn't end Today, we don't end the series today because the wall is built. We don't see Nehemiah immediately going up with a podium and saying, I want to thank all my fans for making this possible. We, you know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give the victory speech. Yeah, and so why is that? I thought Nehemiah was all about building the wall to protect the citizens of Jerusalem and rebuild the city. We still have, we still have uh, six to seven more chapters to go. And what we see in Nehemiah is that building the wall wasn't an end in and of itself, but it was a means to a far greater end. And what was that end goal? What was the target they're aiming at with building this wall? The end goal was spiritual restoration of the covenantal love between God and his people. And so we'll see in Nehemiah for the remainder of our sermon series is there's a shift now from the project of building the wall to the posture of the people's hearts before God. Nehemiah is going to go hard into the paint in regards to calling people back to their covenant Lord and covenant faithfulness to their God. The shift in this narrative is from the wall to the worship of God's people. In the old covenant, the city of Jerusalem and the temple that was located there was, in a way, it was a return to the Garden of Eden. Jerusalem and everything that city, God's city represented, was to be that place where God had ordained to meet with his people and dwell in their midst. That was the place where heaven would kiss the earth and the glory of God, the presence of God, would overflow over the walls and to the nations so that the people of God, blessed by God, would be a blessing to the nations. That was God's intent 
with his people and his city. And Nehemiah wants to bring that back. So the purpose of rebuilding a shattered wall, all that to say is this, was for the far greater purpose of rebuilding a shattered relationship between God and his covenant people. And so the title of my sermon, in case you wanted to know, hey, Nick, what's the title of my sermon, although nobody's ever asked me that, is this, is you protect what you prize. You guard what you value. You protect what you prize. That which is most precious to you in your life will be evident in the lengths and depths you go to protect that which you cherish. What you cherish the most in life will be evident in the lengths you go to protect it. So a couple years ago, I was uh, up in like Loudoun County area. And if you've ever been like in Ashburn, Loudoun County area, it's, it's been recently developed, but you'll, go, you'll be going westbound on these roads and you just see all these top secret government buildings. All right, and some of you get nervous because you're like, Nick, don't call out where I work, all right? Uh, and you know it's like a government building because there's, there's this, it's a massive building. There's like no windows. There's cameras everywhere, barbed wire fence, and uh, nothing's, no, there's no like, hey, this is an Amazon warehouse. Nothing, like nothing's labeled. But what, what blew my mind, I've never seen this before, was this. is Not only did I see a building that had barbed wire and cameras everywhere and, and, just, and just screamed of, you know, government agency kind of thing. It had a moat around it. Like, no joke. And I don't know, I don't think it was like a land, like for like a landscaping thing, because the moat had like walls that were like 20 yards high and it had like crocodiles and piranhas in it as well with a drawbridge. Uh, I, maybe I was, I was driving by it, but I looked at this building and legitimately it had water all around from what I could see from it. And then the wall leading up to the building was like, was like you know, it seemed like 30 feet high and barbed wire fence, all stuff. And so my thought, this was my thought when I drove past that was, holy moly, there's something extremely important in that building. Right? Somebody, Uncle Sam, has gone to great lengths to protect whatever is being housed in that facility in the undisclosed location somewhere northwest of here, okay? So you can tell the value of something. You can tell how much somebody cherishes something by the lengths they go to protect it, the walls they build to protect. And so the reason I share that is the sing- and kids, kids, listen, the single most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. It's the greatest achievement that you can make in your entire life is knowing the living God through faith in Christ. That's the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him and glorify him by ever. And if, so, so hopefully every Christian in the world says, yes, amen. That is the single most important thing in my life. That's the greatest commandment Jesus gave is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Every fiber of your being exists to love God and be in relationship with him. And if that's the most important thing in our life, then you and I will go to great lengths to guard and protect that relationship. We'll build some walls. We'll put up some cameras. If you, we'll build a moat. We will protect that which is most valuable to us. And so Nehemiah cherished God, and he longed to see God's people restored to peace with him. So what did he do? He built a wall. He closed the gates, and he set up guards to keep watch over the city. And so three things to frame out our time, if you're taking notes, and then we'll read the text and pray and dive in, is this, is in order to safeguard our precious and our priceless relationship with Jesus Christ, we'll need to build a wall. We'll maybe need to close some gates, and we'll need to set up some guards in our life. Let's read this text and dive in. Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 15. Verses will be on the screen. So the wall was finished on the uh, 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. 
And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. And his son Jehonan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. If any of you are pregnant and you need some good baby names, there you go. <laughs> also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, and I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at the guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, how can we respond this morning but with praise to the God who first pursued us, the God who, who made a relationship with you possible? through the crushing of your son, the giving of your son Jesus on our behalf, to take our sins, to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that we built in our sins to keep you out of our lives. You tore that down in Christ and you built something new. You, you've, you've created with your own nail-scarred hands a refuge, a haven that we can live in and enjoy your presence forever. It's all your work. We just respond to your grace in our lives, Lord God. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and you lift our chins up today to see you reigning and, and ruling above authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Lift up our chins today, Lord Jesus, to see where you are seated and to see who you are and what you've done and everything we possess because we are in you, united in faith to you, Christ Jesus. Oh, presence of God, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister your, your sanctifying love, your redeeming love and grace to our hearts? Would you wash away doubt and fear and anxiety? Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to the little ones in this room today, Lord God? I pray a blessing over them that they wouldn't know a single day apart from your love. They would walk with you all the days of their life. They'd be just in awestruck wonder that they serve a, a real God, a, a living God, a mighty God, a God who's present with them. So Lord, we honor you. We bless your name. That's why we're here. We're not here to sing songs. We're not here to hear a sermon. We're here to worship you, God. So we posture our hearts to receive your word. Lord, I pray from, from this pulpit that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Jesus Christ, would you be magnified? Would you increase? And would I decrease? And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I got a hallelujah corner over there. I prepped my kids this morning. I was like, hey, I'm going to need some amens from the corner. All right. All right. Protecting your relationship with God looks like building a wall. First point, recap. Wall was miraculously finished in 52 days to the extent that the people in the surrounding region were astonished it was completed. Verse 16 says this. They perceived that this work 
had been accomplished with the help of our God, meaning this, only God could have done that. So that's what we want to be about as God's people. That's what we want to be about at the Transit Church is, is people who know us in the church and outside the church looking at our lives, looking at what God is doing and saying, that's not possible. What you're telling me cannot happen by natural means. And the reason this project had God's hand of favor all over is because when you are laboring, when you're setting out to labor for something that will bring glory to God, and bring his people nearer to his heart, that is a project that God will fully fund and gladly equip you to build. That's why his hand of favor was resting over this project, and then he blessed it. There's a special grace over Nehemiah and the task that the Lord entrusted to him because the aim of the project, the aim of the wall was worship, not the wall, but the wall was necessary for the worship of God. If there's no wall in Jerusalem, there's no actually restoration of God's people worshiping God in Jerusalem. So a wall had to be built, right? And so sometimes in the church, we, we, we flip this, and we begin to worship the wall, and we forget that the wall exists to worship the Lord. We worship the building. We worship the, the Sunday service gathering. We worship all the, the bells and whistles of a trendy, hip church. And that's what we think we're building onto, not realizing that all of this is for the vertical glory of God leaving, overflowing from this place to the nations, to our neighbors, to our neighborhood. That's what this is about. It's about God's glory and the refrain of people seeing what God is doing and saying, God is really among you. Like, we're seeing God do this. We're going we're to figure out a way to start sharing testimonies. I've seen someone this year transform in front of my very eyes that I've known for four years, and this year God's been all over this guy. To the extent that a few weeks back I said, bro, you are different. I can see it. Like the Lord did something. You want to know, I'll tell you what the Lord did. Uh, August, we had a 21-day fast. We're praying and, and worshiping here, seeking the Lord. Two songs in, he feels this presence just come over him. This presence, this warmth, this peace, this power come over him. And uh, we can all get, you know, mixed up about experiences and all that stuff. If you have an issue with the Holy Spirit falling upon people, just go read your book in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and rests on people and changes their lives. But we can get focused on the experience and got hung up on that. But you look at the fruit. You look at the fruit. And so this individual meets up with me a week after that happened and says, I had this encounter. And we were just worshiping the Lord. Nobody prayed for me. We were just worshiping God. Whammo, boom, and, and things lifted. Things have shifted. I'll let him share the story. That's the, four, the first Corinthians 14 refrain that we want at, uh, with and through this body of believers, that God is really among us. And that's what, um, there's nothing wrong with biz, business principles and, and trying to uh, uh, structure things in a church but you can build a church, right, on, like, like, basically, if you want to set out to build an organization, you can steal from secular business growth mindsets and actually build something. But if God's not in it, 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 the labor is in vain. I'm getting off my notes. None of that was in my notes. So, okay, we're going back. Okay, sorry. They had to build a wall. And in order to truly, freely, rightly worship God, a wall had to be constructed to protect God's people. Why, why, would, why would they build a wall? To protect God's people from everything and anything that would threaten their covenant relationship that they had with their covenant God. And so then the question that, to us to land the plane to application is, what's threatening your fellowship with Jesus in this season? 
in this life, what is waging war on your soul? What's waging war on your worship? And what would it look like for you today to, to build defensive structures in your life to protect your priceless relationship with God? Anybody saying, Nick, am I actually going to go and build an actual wall? Like, what do you mean a defensive structure? What does this look like for the new covenant people of God to build a wall to protect our fellowship with God. Well, in the ancient context, the purpose of a wall was to cut off easy access an enemy had to destroy you and to destroy the inhabitants of the city. A wall didn't guarantee that the city wouldn't be demolished, but it kept the enemy at a certain distance. Enemy, you're going to stay here. I'll make it as hard as possible, enemy, for you to get to me and disrupt my fellowship with the Lord. And if we were to ask, well, how do we, how do we walk in, in protection? How do we how do we build some walls, lay some brick and mortar spiritually? And I think the scriptures are clear. It's by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you and I striving to walk in purity and holiness before God. That's the protection, right? Because why are the walls, why are the walls torn down? The walls used to be there, but Babylon came and tore them down. Why did that happen? Because of the pagan idolatry of the people of God. The protection actually lifted. God's hand of favor and protection lifted because the people turned their backs upon God. And the walls that they built were actually boxing out the presence of God and invoking and inviting the presence of other false gods into the walls of God's city. And so scripture is clear. The way we build a wall of protection around our fellowship with God is through the pursuit of personal holiness in our lives. 1 Peter 2.10 says this. I had a whole lot of verses to share but I'm just going to share this one. Beloved, loved of God, you're beloved. You're bought with the blood of Christ. You're beloved. I urge you, I'm pleading, Peter, running to the early church, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which do what? What do those passions of the flesh do? They wage war against your soul. That's warfare language. That's battle. That's, hey, keep your head on a swivel. The truth is, your sinful passions your love of the, war, war, uh, of the world have, have declared war on your worship. There's things that are sinful flesh, loves to cling to in this world. And what those things do is they, they wage war on our souls. They wage war on our worship. So instead of our chins being lifted high in adoration and focus and attention on Christ, his glory and making his glory known, is those things pull our chins down to focus on them and the things of the world. James has some things to say about that in James 4. It's another sermon for another time. Solution, though. What's the solution that the Holy Spirit through Peter gives us to protect ourselves from passions of our flesh that are waging war? What are those things? He gives us one word. He says abstain. Abstain. Abstain from something. You want to know what abstain from something is? I will not a touch, not a drop. I don't, I don't want to get as close to the line as I can. I want to get as far away from the line, as abstain is, I'd rather go overboard than be thrown overboard. Psalm 101, 2 through 4 says this. I, this, this psalm, if you need a tattoo in Hebrew, this is a good one. All right. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. The psalmist here is setting out saying, as for me in my house, I will walk in integrity and holiness. I will, and then, and then what does that look like, psalmist? How do you walk in integrity? It's this. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. I don't want it on my clothes. I don't want it in my house. Verse four, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. That's what it looks like to abstain. It starts in the heart. 
Now, now the question is, is that the cry of our hearts today? That I actually want to know nothing of you, or is there something that says, actually, I kind of want to know a little something of you? Not too much, though, but just a little something, something. But the psalmist here, what he says is, I will know nothing of evil. Why? So that I can know more of God. See, where we go wrong when talking about holiness is it's just like saying build a wall because you're supposed to build a wall. So just be holy because what God tells you to do. Rather than the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Why, should the, why are we blessed? For they shall see God. So purity and holiness is for the sake of deepening of our fellowship and intimacy with our God. That we're not, like sin is, is putting bricks and obstacles, a wall of hostility between us and God. And so walking in purity is saying, I'm not putting any bricks in between my experiential communion with God. Now let me just say this real quick, is that our eternal union with God in Christ Jesus can never be taken from us. Your salvation is secure. Amen? Held securely in his hands. But we're just saying about it. It's his work, not our own. However, our experiential communion, our fellowship with him can ebb and flow like any relationship, right? We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so what we see then is that the motivation for purity is that we would see and know and experience more of the Lord that we've been created and redeemed to know and worship. In Psalm 101.6, going two verses later, says this. This is the Lord speaking. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. What's the motivation for holiness and faithfulness and integrity? Is dwelling with God. Experiencing more of his presence, his peace, his communion. And so the higher motivation for walking in integrity is to keep out the sinful passions that destroy our relationship with God. So all that to say is this before I move on to our second point, is that you and I will guard church, will guard what we cherish, we will protect what we prize, we will guard what we value, and if we value our relationship with Jesus above all else, we will quickly and gladly seize any opportunity to repent from sin and turn towards our gracious Redeemer for fresh forgiveness and restoration of fellowship with him. Let that be done today. Let that be done today in your heart. So second point is this. Um, safeguarding your relationship with God looks like closing the gates. What we see in verse 3 of our text is that um, Nehemiah, they, they finished the wall, but that wasn't it. They also had, every city had gates. And um, what Nehemiah did was this, is he commanded the gates to only be open at certain times of the day. And the purpose of gates was to open up a city to the outside world, and vice versa. Like, a city could not survive or have any influence without opening its gates to the outside. So at selective times, the gates of a city would be open for commerce, trading, uh, fellowship, travel, business, so on and so forth. Okay, you guys tracking with me? So the gates are opening up. The gates of a city are opening up yourself to, uh, not to evil, but to influence, Right? You can influence outsiders. You can let, you're not like opening your door to let in the, you know, the Babylonian army to come and siege. No, no, but you're, you're, you're like, it's, it's, what I'm getting at is this, is that maybe the first point didn't hit home with you. You're like, hey, like I'm actually doing my best to walk in holiness and spirit. Like, praise God. Like, that's the target we all should be aiming at. But this one, what I want to say for this point is this. Maybe it's not the first point. Maybe it's the second point where the enemy's trying to take us out because our gates are always open to the outside world. Our gates are always open to the outside world. What I'm getting at is this. Often, our lives are a 24-7 
open gate to anyone and everything but the voice and presence of God in our lives. So often we don't have any discernment that there are times, there are rhythms in the day where we need to shut the gate. And there's times when we need to open the gate. We need to get on social media and hopefully glorify Christ in how we engage on social media or, or read the news and make phone calls and send emails. But there's also a time where we need to close those doors. We need discernment on when we're going to open and close the gates because the single most important thing we can do with our lives is having a deep, vibrant, life-transforming relationship with God that Jesus Christ has made possible. And the truth is this, it is impossible to know someone at any level of depth and intimacy when we are constantly distracted. It's impossible. Depth is impossible when distraction is, you know, the land we're living in. Let me illustrate this. I am in a covenant relationship with my, my spouse, okay? Lord willing, we will have a date night tonight, okay? Barring some unforeseen incident. Um, now, what if on date night we finally make it to that place of fellowship? What's the purpose of a date night? The purpose of a date night is to deepen the level of intimacy with the person you're covenant relationship you're with. Okay, so watch this. So we make it, we go to some super vegan, healthy place to eat. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then all of a sudden, I'm looking at my wife and say, babe, I love you. I cherish you. I ping. Oh, oh I got some emails. Sorry. I, I, all right, let me just check this email real quick. Okay, I'm so sorry, babe. Uh, just look at the menu real quick. Um, man, so that email just added like 20 more emails that I need to respond to because the more you're on email, it's kind of funny, the more emails that happen. So I got to respond to all these. Okay, let me put this down. I'm so sorry for the interruption. Where were we? Ping, text. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, my buddy just texted me. Let me text him. Let me text him back. Okay, I got to text him back. Oh, I forgot about all these five other texts and things I have to do. Um, so sorry, one second. Okay, babe, I, I love you. This is so great. Ping, oh my gosh. Okay, uh, I got so many hits on my TikTok video that just went viral. Um, can I just like, I need to engage people on this and do like a, another dance thing for TikTok. Okay, cool. Okay, I am so sorry. Where, where were we? Okay, ping. Oh my gosh. Uh, news updates. Okay, certain things are happening in the news. Okay, let me read 20 articles on one story to see how this news article, th this organization, this organization are talking about the same thing. Okay, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Ping. Oh my gosh, I got a voicemail. Okay, uh, okay, it's about the contractors coming for the work in the house. Let me just call him back real quick. Okay, I'm so sorry, babe. Where were we? I love you. This is amazing. Okay, and I'm still going here. Okay, so you guys, uh, uh, we're still going here. Oh, ping. Oh, my gosh. Okay, what's what this alert for? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, babe, like, I'm playing this cool game called Clash of Clans. And, like, my clan just took out, like, another clan, and I need to, like, go to war on, like, I have to do, like, fake war. Even though God's called me to a much greater war, I need to spend all my time on this, this fake war. Sorry, a little dig at video games there. Uh, my wife, does that honor my wife's presence? No, does that honor your presence, what I just did? No, right? You guys are probably getting frustrated. Like, when is this illustration going to end? <laughs> right? And I purposely went long to make a point, right? And, and the reason I share that, is, and I, I, I felt the conviction of the Lord as I was, as I was working on this, um, of how distracted I get in my time with him. And sadly, how often is this our time with the Lord? Making the Lord wait on us while we respond to people we deem more worthy of our time than him. Guilty as charged up here. 
distracting ourselves to death, staying in the shallow waters of microwave intimacy with Jesus because we can't, because we can't just turn this thing off. This thing has us on a leash, and it's called a ping, and we just get, boom, text, phone call, email, news, so on and so forth, and so therefore this has our attention and our affection more than our Savior does, that anyone at any time has access to us. That is a city when the gates are never closed. 24-7, everyone has access to you. And of course, we can't live like hermits and close ourselves out to the outside world, but we can live wisely and protect our worship. So here's an application. The application is this, and it sounds silly, but it's actually really serious. You and I need to get serious about digital hygiene. Digital hygiene, okay? Digital gates in our lives opening and closing at certain times, okay? I don't like usually giving tips, but, um, but, but this is so important. If we as followers of Jesus can't actually abide with Jesus because we're distracted, then we need to go to war on our distractions. And so one, here are some helpful tips. All of these or some of these hopefully will be helpful. Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. It's an amazing day when you do that, in my humble opinion, okay? Give somebody else the screen time password. You can't download any apps, and you take off news. You take off social media. You take off email, and it is phenomenal. It's like the most freeing thing on the planet, okay? Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. Secondly, turn your cell phone into a landline at home. Find one place where you keep your phone to text and email and all that stuff and make it your addict, so to get to your phone, you have to pull down that. I'm, I'm not joking about that part, but make your cell phone a landline so your kids don't always see you just, oh, sorry, kid, got to wait, boom, distracted, right? You can do that. Get, and then, so that's the second one. You can turn your cell phone into a landline at home, like I'll charge it in the basement and only check it at certain times. And thirdly, give your precious phone a bedtime. Maybe around 8 p.m., you, you tuck it in to sleep, you, you, you sing a lullaby to it. You pray its final prayers. You say, you rest quietly. I'm turning you off. And you and I will not hang out until 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. the next day. But I'm going to spend time with Jesus tomorrow morning. Give your phone a bedtime. And lastly, only check emails and texts three times a day. I know for some of us, we're not going to be able to do this. But what would it look like for us to attempt to do this? To only check email and text three times a day. Imagine... You're watching your neighbors from across the street from your house, okay? And you're just like drinking coffee and you're doing something, but you can see it out of the corner of your eye. And within 30 minutes, the neighbor goes out and he checks the mailbox. And he goes back. Nothing in there. Oh, I missed the Okay, and then he goes back. And he checks the mail. Oh, nothing in there. Okay. And he goes back like 40 times in 30 minutes just to see if somebody... Anybody gave him a coupon, a flyer, an email, a whatever, right? You would say, that guy has a problem. And yet, studies would show that like before the clock hits like 10 a.m., we've already checked this thing like 100 times, right? That's a, that's a problem, right? So let's, let's, let's protect what we value. And if we want depth with God, then we have to forsake shallow distractions. And so application this week is try all or some of those Tips, get creative about digital hygiene and closing the gates at certain times so that you can safeguard your relationship with God. The negative aspect of this is if we don't get a handle on our digital distractions, our relationship with God, the most important thing about us and the most important gift we can give to the world, our relationship with God will be shallow at best and not existent at worst. That's why this is so serious. 
our relationship with God will be shallow at best and non-existent. Or the positive thing, if we can get a handle on this, and you can, only opening the gates at certain times, we'll experience the much greater, the far more beautiful, abiding presence of Jesus throughout our day, leading and guiding and comforting our souls by his spirit on this pilgrim journey. The benefits far outweigh the cons, and let's honor God's presence with our attention. A simple definition of worship is attention, focus, attention, and let's give our God undistracted attention. He's worthy of that. Amen? All right, last point is this. Protecting your relationship with God looks like setting up guards on the wall. What we see in our text is, on, is upon completion of the wall, that wasn't enough. Nehemiah immediately sets up guards to keep watch for enemy invasion and attack. And so we learn it's not enough to build a wall to protect the city. You actually need to appoint guards to constantly keep watch. And so the thing about guards being on a wall is that guards on a wall are established there because they can see things you can't see. They can see threats coming in that you can't see from inside the city, in your house, asleep, or mowing your lawn. The guards on the walls can see things you can't see. They're at a vantage point that you don't have. And so what I'm getting at is in order to guard our walk with God, we need trusted brothers and sisters in Christ in our lives to be strategically positioned in our lives to call out threats that are coming our way that we can't see, right? Driving, we, we all have blind spots. If you are flying solo in a car, the, whatever's happening in like the back right side of your car on the highway is called the blind spot to you, unless you have a super nice car and it tells you like in British English that, hey, somebody's in your blind spot. You know, like if you have that car, more power to you. I don't have that kind of car, all right? I got to do the, this thing, all right? So, however, if you have someone who's your co-pilot, a guard on the wall in the passenger seat with you, they're strategically placed on your journey to see blind, a blind spot you can't see. They're strategically placed to see something you can't see. And it's their God-ordained duty that when you start drifting into a semi-truck that you can't see in your blind spot to scream at the top of their lungs and say, you're going to get us all killed. Like, don't do that, right? That's their goal. You, they're strategically placed to call out blind spots. And slowly wrapping up here, we ask, how do I get this in my life? I've been flying solo. How do I uh, put guards on the wall? How do, I, how do I strategically place people at vantage points in my life to help me, to call out threats that are coming my way, to speak the truth in love? One, first point is this. If this resonates with your heart and you need this, ask God consistently in prayer to send people in your life to help you on their journey, on your journey, and the people that you can help on your journey. And then secondly, here's a pretty profound application, is simply ask somebody to meet up. Staggering, right? Staggering thought. I'd say, hey, let's grab coffee. I'd like to get to know you a little bit more, see how the relationship develops. And then, and then make the pitch. Hey, like I, Nick said something about, you know, keeping watch on the walls and I've been flying salt. I don't have anyone I can call up in a moment of temptation, in a moment of regret, in a moment of fear, anxiety. I, I have no one I can call up to actually be really honest. And as you build this relationship with two to three to four trusted individuals, commit to speaking the truth in love to each other. Because here's the bottom line. It's impossible to help someone be accountable who doesn't want accountability. You actually have to want it. And what I mean is this. When, say, you meet up on a weekly or biweekly basis for this guard-on-the-wall relationship, you actually have to be really honest so that the other person can be invited into the real struggles that the real you is really having so that they can really help you. And often in our relationships, people ask you how you're doing, and you say, hey, 
my go-to is busy but blessed, right? I'm busy but good, busy but good, busy but good. And then if they're asking, no, no, how are you really doing? Be like, okay, well, let's, how much time do you have, right? The how much time do you have, me really telling you, that's what you and I need. That's what our souls need, is that safe place, those safe, trusted individuals where the real you can really be honest about real struggles. So real Christians who are broken just like you and doing their best to follow Jesus under his grace and by the power of the Spirit can help you carry the burden, the yoke of this pilgrim journey. And listen, we say, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. Jesus did. Don't take my word for it. Matthew 26, 36 through 38. The Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus staggering under the weight that he was going to face on the cross. He goes to the garden, and Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He didn't take all the twelve. He took the three. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled about what, about what was awaiting him. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You see Christ's heart and his humanity, knowing what was awaiting him. And, and, and the real Jesus in his real humanity is really honest with a few trusted individuals about how he really needs help in the season. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to the garden. It's been a busy season. I'm kind of discouraged. He said, I am sorrowful to the point of death crippling depression. I don't know how I'm going to make it one more step, one more moment moving forward. If, if the Christ of glory needed that in his life, Peter, James, and John, in that moment, you and I 1,000% do. And the elders here at the, the transit are strategically thinking with our men's ministry, women's ministry, and community groups of how we can actually create these cohorts for those that want to be involved in that. And so we're, before we, we go and launch this, we're going to try to create those spaces, intentionally uh, tag certain leaders to do that. And so keep your ear on the weekly update and in the ministries here about us establishing those cohorts because we really believe that that is where discipleship happens, is in those relationships with two to three believers really coming with real struggles and really praying for one another and really helping one another follow Jesus. So I'll conclude with this. As you can tell how precious something is, to someone by the lengths they go to protect it. Let me close with Ephesians 2, uh, 13. Um, yeah, Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. Verse will be on the screen, but you can turn there as well. It's a long text, so just uh, focus with me on this final, this final passage. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, talking about the Jew and Gentile distinction, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with, that, with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. 
Consequently, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What this clearly teaches us, the gospel screams of God's love for you and for me. How he prized us, how he, how he treasured our relationship with him. To the extent that when you and I, in our sins, created, built a wall, not to guard our relationship with God, but built a wall to box out our relationship with God, saying, God, in my sin, I want to turn from you. I want nothing to do with you. I want to build, that's what sin does. In this context, it's, it's a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, but the principle is the same. Is that what sin does, is it, it, it's this massive brick-and-mortar wall that brings a dividing wall of hostility between relationships, your horizontal relationships and your vertical relationship with God. And what the Lord took upon himself, God the Father, did was, although we built this dividing wall of hostility to box God out of our lives, he cherished uh, our relationship with him so much that he sent his son to be torn down on the cross, shattered, bruised, broken, our sins placed upon his shoulders, uh, uh, the, the, the punishment we deserve placed on his shoulders, the son crushed in our place. And when he was crushed, the Messiah, the only, the, 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 the only son of God, the Messiah was crushed on our behalf, that dividing wall of hostility would happen. It was torn down. It was torn down. And now something far more powerful and beautiful has been built in its place. And what I'm getting at today is this, is that if today that you are in Christ Jesus, God has gone to great lengths to protect you, which he values. And the broken, we're about to take communion here, so begin to prepare your hearts to take the Lord's Supper. The broken body and the shed blood of Christ, those are the impenetrable, walls of protection that God has placed around you, that no sin, no devil, no death, no disease can separate you, can come in and take you out from that haven, that refuge, that shelter that God took it upon himself to build in the midst of your hostility towards him. That's what we're here today to celebrate, is the God who has gone to great lengths to protect and to save and redeem and rescue and rebuild everything that in our sins we've sought to destroy. And so I'm going to call up the band. Band, can you come forward? And uh, I want all of our eyes to be focused on, uh, before we take communion, is, is one, let the gospel warm your affections for Jesus again. You and I today have to be reminded of the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you to the extent that he would lay down his life so that you could dwell with him forever and that he could dwell with you. 
forever. And now if you are in Christ Jesus, what we remember, what we rejoice, what we celebrate is that we stand in the grace of God. The blood of Christ, those are the impenetrable walls that no demon, no sin, no death or disease can rip us out of our relationship with God. We are secure in his arms. Amen? Amen. So let's posture our hearts to receive communion, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, would you just come and by your spirit minister sweet repentance to our hearts? Jesus, would you just come and and take away the bricks in our hearts that we've laid? Sometimes in our life we get so distracted, Jesus, and we build a wall and we it's so high we can't we can't see your glory. We can't see your love. We we can't see you reigning over our circumstances. Would you come today, Spirit, and Jesus, would you remove those bricks that are robbing our vision, our sight, that are blinding us to your glory and the beauty of your presence? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Lord, we thank you for your love. It's not just that you've forgiven us for the sake of, of forgiving us and letting us be and do our own thing. No, this, your scriptures are clear. Redemption was for the sake of relationship. So come, Holy Spirit, and I pray that you begin to wash away lies that people have about you. That you begin to, to wipe off lies of, of them believing that God is an angry God, that God, that God hates them and is, is disgusted with them. Would they see the warmth of your love, the kindness of your compassion today, Lord Jesus, that you, that, that, that you, yes, you is who God wants to dwell with forever. So do that, Lord God, minister your love, minister your healing grace to people today. Thank you, Lord. We love you, we worship you. And I pray that leaving here today, you'd put a fire, Lord, in our belly where we've been apathetic. Put a fire in our belly to thirst and hunger for you to get again, to put up walls, to close gates, to, to invite people into our lives because that which is most precious to us needs to be protected and guarded above all else, God. And Lord, I think you're looking forward to the time that you get to spend undistracted with your people this week. It's not just us who miss out, but you and your heart for us, the fact that you like us and you enjoy spending time with us that you're looking forward to the undistracted time that we're going to spend with you, maybe this evening, maybe this week, Lord Jesus. So I just pray that by your presence, you meet us there powerfully in a new and a fresh way. And by your grace, you give us the gift of hunger for you again, where our hearts have grown cold and distant. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen.